When I was six years old, I discovered a big wooden box in our family's attic. My 14-year-old sister opened it for me. It was a treasure trove. The two-and-a-half-foot by five-foot chest was full of faded photos, yellowing letters, and full-length fur coats. Confounded but curious, I picked through the smaller mementos and trinkets from the 1930s and 40s and breathed the stale, hot air of the attic perfumed with the aroma of cedar. I found a pair of sailor's pants with so many buttons on the front that I thought of the iconic cartoon character Popeye. In a few years, I would wear them to high school. At the bottom of the chest was a dark blue heavy coat. Even at that tender age, I was moved by it. Its silk lining was pristine. It bore no stains or tears. It felt good in my hands. I wanted it. That night, at dinner, I worked up the courage to ask my dad if I could have it, and with a degree of sweetness mixed with disinterest, he said, Sure, when you're old enough. He didn't tell me what it was. Old enough became ninth grade, and the coat kept me warm as I turned up its collar on my mile-long trek to high school on windy February mornings. My friends envied and wanted my coat. It was so unusually stylish that no one would dare steal it because its ownership was never in doubt. It was military, but somehow cool, in spite of the unpopular war in Vietnam. It was forever mine. I wore it through winter winds and rain and the occasional muddy touch football game after school. Rain-soaked music festivals in the years that followed didn't dissuade my love of the old coat. It was my personal suit of armor. By my late 20s, I had grown a bit taller than my father had been in his Navy days, and the old coat was once again retired. It would hang in various closets for the next 40 years. This is the story of my father, me, and an old coat. My father loved the ocean. Looking back, it seems funny because he taught me how to snare fish with a line of string and dive in his childhood swimming hole near a landlocked place called Tyler Hill in eastern Pennsylvania. He grew up as a farm boy and had never seen an ocean. His name was Ken. He was athletic, strong, seemingly fearless, and loved to make people laugh. Kenny left school in eighth grade to help his father, Earl, work the family dairy farm. Throughout his life, he was always embarrassed about his lack of formal education. I went into the building business with him in Rhode Island decades later, and when we would meet with architects, engineers, and developers, he was often the smartest person in the room, but he didn't know it. The challenges of farm life forced him to be hardworking, innovative, and creative. During the energy crisis of the mid-1970s, Ken thought it would be wise to put individual thermostats in four different rooms of our modest home. Plumber after plumber looked at the job at hand, and he was told it couldn't be done because there was only one boiler. He devised and built his own system, and within two weeks it was working. Not being able to comprehend what my father was talking about, I contributed little to the effort. How was I supposed to know how to solder a copper pipe? My father would get impatient with me, but never lost his temper. After all, his kid didn't have the opportunity to grow up on a working farm during the Great Depression. I never told him how proud I felt of him that day. How could he be so smart anyway? The current owners of the old house tell me that the four-zone heating system still works perfectly, and plumbers scratch their heads and marvel when they're called to unclog a drain. Being of humble beginnings, my father was not prone to exaggeration. He became easily irritated by those who had tendencies to embellish their own personal stories. He referred to them as artists of a particular genre. Well, that isn't exactly what he called them, but it meant the same thing. 
I worked with my dad for the better part of three decades. Sometimes we had crews, but usually it was just the two of us. We framed houses, remodeled kitchens, and installed roofs. There wasn't much we didn't do, actually. I don't know how many hours we spent together in his pickup truck, but it must have been in the thousands. Some days we'd talk, and some days we'd be too busy or tired. We talked mostly about baseball, family, and work. Occasionally, an item we heard on the news provided me the opportunity to ask him about the war because he would never be the first to talk about it. We once spent six weeks working on the home of a former shipmate of his, and neither of them mentioned the subject even once. But when I asked my father questions, he shared detailed and thoughtful remembrances devoid of emotion. It was as if he really wanted me to know the story and not let it be blurred by his personal sadness and loss. I always felt he was telling me about some movie he had watched on television the night before. I hung on his every word, 